If you would like to join me, grab your Bible. If you don't have one, there's some on the table in the back. We're reading today from Acts 1, verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120 and said, Brothers and sisters, it is necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, foretold about Judas, who became a God to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, his body body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field is called Hakeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position." Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during this whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which one of these, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Barbie. I didn't give you an easy passage either. No, that was uh, long. Uh, <laughs> and and things like uh, Hackledema, uh, uh-huh, and Matthias and all that. Uh, no, thank you for the Bible reading, Barbie. Uh, thank you all for reading your Bible. We're going to be in Acts one a little bit before we get into that, though. Hey, thank you all again for being here on this holiday weekend. I'm John Hugh. It's my honor to serve as a, as a pastor uh, and shepherd elder uh, of this church, Bellwether, an elder-led church. Uh, I say all that uh, because I've been thinking a lot about us as a church. Um, not that I normally don't. Uh, but this weekend, uh, being Martin Luther King uh, Jr. weekend, who is a, uh, uh, who's also someone I admire uh, greatly, and uh, who spoke and fought for uh, equality for all. And I just think that all churches uh, should move into that and be a place that all are, are welcomed. And so in this city where God has landed us and planted us, there are a great many 
needs, uh, needs socially, economically, uh, racially. And I just, I pray, you know, it seems like uh, the church, the big C church, the larger church, uh, we live in a world that's just not yet. And it will always be that way until Jesus comes. But that should not be an excuse for us uh, to be a not yet Christian. Like, what I mean by that is like, well, I'm not there yet. Uh, that's been no excuse in my life uh, and no excuse for us uh, to let the Spirit lead us as we talk about being a Spirit-filled uh, church and Spirit-filled people, uh, lead us uh, to acts of love and kindness and charity to neighbors uh, and nations uh, so that this church can be part of Jesus' church uh, that reflects uh, His light, His kingdom, and open to all, uh, wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever you've done, you're welcome here. We don't want anyone to stay the same here, and I certainly hadn't stayed the same here since I came here, but uh, that we grow together. So as a local church, uh, also being an Acts 29 church, and if you're not familiar with that, I encourage you to look up acts29.org. We're blessed to be part of that network. Um, we want to be open and welcome as a light of Christ to, to this city, and that's my prayer. So last week, being the first Sunday of the new year, we started a series, a new series that we call Spirit-Filled. So I don't know if you connect the dots in the service or not, but often we'll try to tie in songs that have the same theme. So uh, we sang today about uh, the Spirit, and that would be the Holy Spirit. And that we, or at least I, I want to be filled personally, so it's a selfish reason I'm preaching this, but I'd like our church to be Spirit-filled. And you may say, well, aren't we Spirit-filled already? Yeah, we are. But not to the degree that we will see in Acts, okay? And I'd also say this. I don't want to be spirit... Often, as, as like Christians and churchgoers, we think spirit-filled. Well, that's worship, you know? Some of us may think, well, if they, you know, if they, they hit a one hand, you know, like which I did today, uh, you, know, spirit, you know, two hands are like really, you know, got it going on, okay? Which I don't think I've ever... Well, I've only done a handful of times. You don't have to raise hands. It's not about that. It's not even about spirit-filled and worship, this series at least, nor is the book of Acts. That is part of it. Worship is a big part of our Christian life, but I don't think about worship just as singing. I think about worship as living. So it is both singing and hearing and speaking and acting, living lives of worship, but spirit-filled in everything, everything. Your job, your marriage, uh, your dating life, the way you raise kids. I mean, do we look upon, do we try to draw near to, do we say, you know, Spirit, I need you. Uh, as a student, as a, someone moving into a career, playing basketball, facing a, a loved one's death, do we? I don't think many of us do. I say that because I know my own life and I know my own prayer life. And I like to think that I do, but if, you know, if I just look at percentages, I get really tied in and kind of locked in with getting things done and, you know, trying to be, just trying to be a successful husband, dad, pastor, all that, and, you know, just based on my own efforts. So this year, and I don't know how long this series is going to take, but we're in Acts 1 and we're going to go through all of Acts. We're going to be focused on being more spirit-filled. And part of that is just letting go. I mean, part of that is like not getting the checklist done. Maybe you get it done in a better, more efficient way because we rely on the Holy Spirit. 
This whole deal is that it is supernatural, which would be not natural. It's outside this world, so it's nothing that like we base our gifts on. Now, you'd be like, how do you know that? Well, I see it in Acts, and I hope you will see it in Acts. So this series, Spirit-Filled, is going through uh, the book of Acts. We started last week the first part of Acts 1, and so we're going to go into uh, the second part of Acts 1, which Barbie read about, and honestly, it's kind of, if you were listening, or if you've read it before or since, it's, it's good, but there's parts of it that I used to think is kind of like boring, okay? I mean, it's your first official church meeting, you know? They're, they're ch- and if anybody of y'all have been to a church meeting, um, you know, trying to get business done, or it's about nominating somebody, Acts 2 starts getting like really fired up, spirit-filled. But here, what if the spirit is just, is just coming upon them already? What if they're becoming just as spirit-filled here you know, what if we could be just as spirit filled in like a church meeting as in, I don't know, this like fired up rally or this mission trip? It can happen. And I do believe the spirit uh, is already speaking and working. So I wanted to kind of the theme today for this message will be our ordinary and his extraordinary. Like our ordinary life. And some of us would say, well, I have an extraordinary life, but most of us, and even those who say extraordinary, we really have some self-doubt, some insecurities. I just have an ordinary life. I mean, make a lot of money, go to a lot of different places. If you have fame, you know, some of the most famous folks, that, you know, they feel insecure, they have self-doubt, feel ordinary. But yet God takes us ordinary people, and I am ordinary, takes us ordinary people and moves them to extraordinary purposes. And even ordinary events, like, oh, well, a church meeting. Or, well, it's, you know, just a worship service. Or, well, it's, you know, just a small group meeting that, man, I've I got to stay part of the group, so i got to go once every month or six weeks. Or, you know, I mean, I am a member, so I need to come. You know, just kind of ordinary, like, ordinary events, extraordinary potential for the Holy Spirit to work on you, to change you, to move you. Not me, not my words, not anybody's words here. The power of God, the Spirit of God. If I didn't believe that, I certainly would not do what I do. Okay? So Barbie read here for us into, uh, well, the end of the chapter, verse 12. And I just want to highlight really, really four things. Prayer, highlight two men, the Bible, and God's work in the church. So, Pretty simple, but these verses uh, talk about it all. First, prayer. Prayer. Uh, You talk about, let me be honest with y'all, someone who thinks of ordinary things, I often think of prayer as ordinary, if I'm really being honest. Like, I think extraordinary things is like going off on a mission trip and like planting a church and like being a go-getter or like much of our culture does. I think prayer, come on, prayer. I mean, I got to pray. I got to sit and like. And that, that's hindered, I mean, honestly, it's hindered my ministry, but it's hindered my prayer life. And yet here, according to the Bible, verse 12 through 14, it's kind of like the same thing. Like, they've already had an extraordinary moment and seen this extraordinary vision, which we talked about last week, of Jesus ascending to the cloud. I mean, amazing. I mean, I can't even fathom it. 
And they go from the extraordinary to an ordinary walk. They got to walk. They can't, you know. They don't have chariots. You know, not rich folk here. Not powerful folk. You got to walk back to Jerusalem and go to a simple, plain upper room. Many think it was the same room of the Last Supper. And what do they do? What do they do? What do they do? Somebody answer me. What do they do here? They join together and they pray. Something else. Jesus, as we read last week, talked about last week, had promised them the Holy Spirit, had, had promised them, like, man, you're about to be my witnesses. You are Jerusalem, going to start there, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You're going to be church planners extraordinary. You're going to be missionaries extraordinary. You're going to leave this, leave this extraordinary life talking to people. Oh, and getting martyred, by the way. He didn't add that in. But they were, they're fine with it. They end up. They're cool with it. All these extraordinary things that Jesus promised. What do they do? They prayed. Did you catch that? I don't think you did. Here's what I'm talking about. Jesus told them this would happen. And often for us, we'd be like, man, I got the promises. They're laid out. Uh, I, I know what I'm called to do. Live as a Christian. Learn his word. Be part of a church. Be raised a leader. Go, go. I mean, Jesus promises us. And we know it and still we are called to pray. Did you catch that again? They knew what was going to happen, and it led them to prayer. Often, we pray because we don't know what's going to happen. And we try to uh, beseech God to act on our, our life or our, our purposes or our selfish desires. Here, it's like they knew and they still prayed. Like you would think that, I mean, if ever there was, they've seen him a sin, he's like, Acts 1 8, you're going to be, I mean, he had, they had this spoken to them, they'd be like, I mean, they'd get to the upper room and like bust out a party. And uh, not just like let the good times roll, but like, yeah, remember last year, like last supper, man, and then, you know, everything broke down. And now, man, I mean, he's gone to glory, and we're like going to be, you know, rock stars, leaders of the church. I mean, I mean, you would think they'd pop open something at least, or I mean, celebrate. What do they do? They pray. What do we do? I know what I would have done. I would have popped open a court, okay? Be like, man, we're, we are good. <laughs> we just saw this. We just had this, like, pro, you know, the, we got, like, the, the ultimate, like, knighting of, <laughs> we're going to have stained glass windows made out of us, <laughs> which they did, okay? And yet, man, they humbly went before the Lord and prayed. A couple quotes I want to show you. Put the first one up. Got him. Eat and bounds. The life, power, and glory of the church is prayer. The life of its members is dependent on prayer, and the presence of God is secured by prayer. Without it, the church is lifeless and powerless. One other one. A guy by the name of John Calvin. Prayer is not a sign of doubting, but is a witness to our certain hope and confidence since we ask the Lord for things. We know he has promised. Prayers is the life of blood, and without prayer, churches are lifeless. Uh, it's not uh, good songs or good song leaders or 
good preaching or good preachers. I do think if prayer is in there, it'll be spirit-filled and the spirit will move you. Uh, it's prayer. It's our connection with God. And so I ask us and I ask myself, how's our prayer life? How's our prayer life? I know it convicts me too. So, New Year, I'd urge us, uh, I'd, I don't, no pride here, beg of you, plead with you, be united in prayer, like 12 through 14. And, and hey, just getting this too, like, there are a lot of different types of people in there that really didn't really get along, okay? I mean, uh, if you know uh, some stories of the Bible, James and John said, hey, by the way, don't mind these other ten, can we sit at your right and left side, Jesus? Uh, how would that sit with you about those dudes? Like, uh, I can think of some words, start with a J, and it's not jerk, okay? But anyway, and then you got Peter, and then they're still like, you know, he denied him, and so but they're united. A lot of different people, different gifts, united in prayer. Moving on, as they prayed, the Holy Spirit was uh, with these ordinary men, giving them an extraordinary design. And Peter, something's revealed to Peter. So talk about two men real quick. Two men here. The first is Judas. Because they realize here that, okay, Judas was with us. And you know, the thing that, I was thinking about this, you know, they, they didn't like pick Judas out to betray Jesus. I mean, they, they didn't know. Uh, if, if you go to the... Um, uh, the verse in the last, sup- last Supper, Luke 21, put this passage up on screen, Luke 21, 21 through 23. Jesus didn't even call out Judas' name when he said, I'm going to have someone betray me. He didn't say Judas is going to betray him. He, he didn't say, you know, he didn't try to protect himself. He didn't say, go beat up Judas, you know, go tie Judas. He didn't say, he just said, someone's going to betray me. He never named his name, so they didn't know. Verse 21 in Luke 22. But look, the hand of the one betraying me, this is Jesus talking, is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So they, the disciples, the other 11, began to argue about themselves which of them it could be he was going to do it. They didn't know. They didn't know. Why do I say that? Uh, I say that. Because Peter is, is thinking, hey, we need to replace Judas. But I say that it could have been any one of them. Let me say this. It could have been any one of us. You're like, man, I never like betray Jesus. Really? I mean, I say that too, but I know I'm lying to myself. Here's the thing about, and I'd really like you to see this. Uh, ordinary events, an ordinary life, ordinary days, ordinary times, ordinary seasons... What if in that, like an extraordinary work is going on, and I believe it is, in your life? But let me add another layer to it. Like what if you only don't do the things you could do in your heart of sin is because there is this extraordinary power and presence called the Holy Spirit protecting you and closing a lot of doors so that you won't enter, so you won't do things that would, whether we call them explicit sins or... you whether they betray Jesus in a certain way. I believe that is constantly happening among Christian believers. I believe God is closing doors that we might want to enter. Man, I'd love to get into that relationship with this girl or that guy, and it doesn't work out. If you're a Christian, there is a reason. 
man, I really, really want this business deal, and it doesn't happen. There is a reason if you're a Christian. Man, I really, really, really want to go to this place or move to this place, and it never happens. There is a reason if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit is constantly at work in your life, sometimes opening doors and often keeping them closed so that you will not err in the way you could err. Or I will not err in the way I could err. Any of the disciples could have betrayed Jesus. Any of us could have betrayed Jesus. It was Judas, and that's the Lord's divine plan. But for us, I mean, what this whole series is about is this bigger, if you're a Christian, if you say I follow Jesus, then there is this, there's the spirit of Jesus working in you and outside of you uh, and often closing doors to protect you. We just have to believe that. You're like, well, what about the specifics? I don't know the specifics. One day we will all see them and know them. And we'll know the why. It's, this is what I'm always talking about. No accidents in Christianity. Some of that is opportunities and some of that is protection by the Lord. So there's Judas, but then Peter. Because Peter said, you know, we got we to gotta replace Judas. Like this revelation was given to Peter. Uh, and Peter has been changed, man. I mean, in, in 40 days, I mean, Judas is bad. Betrayer, traitor, devil possessed him. I mean, Satan possessed him. The Bible does say that, by the way. Pretty bad. Can't get any worse. Peter, though, I mean, he denied him. And here, there's a change in Peter's life. It is, he is a different type of leader. And this is even before he's about to go off on Acts 2. And he goes off. It's coming. But a supernatural change has happened. How is that? Well, he's with Jesus 40 days. But I also believe that the Bible, the Scripture, had impacted him so much. How do I know this? Because this passage. Because he says, well, we need to replace Judas, and we need to, we need to do this, and someone needs to fill his spot on the original twelve. I mean, you know, you could be a disciple. Hey, why? I mean, Judas is gone. I mean, 11's fine, dude. <laughs> I mean, why do we need another? You know, less is more, okay? You could say that. But they did, and it's because Peter went to Scripture. The, the basis for church leadership and church decision-making, there and here, we're trying, is Scripture. You're like, where do you see that? Well, he quotes Scripture. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it and let someone else take his position. These are from two psalms, Psalm 69, Psalm 109. And, and I say this because it's not his opinion. And the Bible hadn't even been written yet. They had, um, they had manuscripts, but not the Bible as we know it. And the church hadn't like fully officially begun. And yet one man, I believe, has been formed and changed through Scripture and as the church is forming, points the rest of the church to Scripture and says, this is the way it should be. This is what we have. And it's the, it should be the same for us. Men who learn from Scripture and are changed from Scripture go to the body and say, this is what Scripture says. It's our only authority. It's our final authority. It's not me. It's not my opinion. It's no other pastor. It's no other elder. It's Scripture. So Peter's changed by Scripture and... He leads by Scripture. And I'd say this to all of you men and women who desire to be changed. I believe you do because you're here. And even our, kind of our original 
this church's original uh, mission, raising leaders. But that's very vague. Like what kind of leader? People who go to Scripture, who point people to Scripture as the final authority. But, and God can use any one man and any one woman, as he just does to Peter right now, uh, to, to change a group, to change a church, uh, to say we need to pray, to say we need to look at Scripture. One man or one woman, and I encourage all of you ones out there to consider this. I was reading just last night. I love how the Spirit works. You know, I'm preaching on something, I'll read something else that just directly ties in. So this is like, this is like 11 o'clock last night, and uh, a book by a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones titled Revival, by the way. Uh, and it's a series of sermons he preached on revival. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I love him. I, I quote him a lot. He was a pastor uh, in London in the 20th century. But uh, he wrote this about one man or one woman who can make a change. He says, generally the first thing that happens and which eventually leads to a great revival is that one man or one woman or a group of men suddenly begin to feel this burden and they feel the burden so much that they are led to do something about it. Look at all the church history. Look at the Protestant Reformation. You may not know about that, but it's how we became non-Catholic here. Just saying. That mighty movement. It was one man, Martin Luther, a very ordinary, there's that word again, kind of monk, suddenly became aware of this burden, and it so burdened him that he was led to do something about it. Just one man. And through that one man, God sent that mighty movement into the church. Take other men. Take the one man who began prayer meetings One man in Fulton Street in New York City in 1857, a very, here's that word again, ordinary man, but he felt this burden and did something about it. A revival began through this one man. A revival later in Northern Ireland started with just one man, a guy named James McQuilkin, whom I don't know about, but I emphasize this for one reason only, that this is what I like to call the romantic element of the Christian life and in the history of the church. That is to me what is so glorious about it. And that sort of thing can only happen in the Christian church. It does not happen in the world. The world looks to leaders and the great people, but God, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, is constantly confounding the wise by taking hold of the foolish. And so let us realize this which makes the ordinary church member often think that he or she can do nothing at all. They must sit back in crowds, in meetings, and that some two or three people are just going to do everything. No. The teaching of the Bible is the exact opposite. It may be that you are the one God is going to use. You are that unknown church member. It does not matter. In the hands of God, you may be the channel. I really love that. That's why I read so much of it. Because you need to know that. All of you one men and women uh, who may think they're ordinary or, I don't know, you may think you're extraordinary. 
God can use, and he used Peter. And it draws us to the Bible, and it draws us to prayer. And then last, it ends up God's work in the church. They prayed. Peter spoken from the Bible. They prayed again. And they say, okay, let's raise some leaders. They nominate two people. I don't even know their names because they're never mentioned again, by the way, in Scripture. But they're part of the 12, Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, show us. Uh, Then, and it's like, man, I I think this might be gambling. You might say they cast lots. (laughs) Sounds crazy. Sounds crazy to me. We're like, where's that? One other verse, verse Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 33. They knew their scripture. Going back. Because this time, like Paul hadn't written about elders, had none of the New Testament. Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. They still, even in this, went back to scripture, based this formation of the church. And... Matthias was, was chosen. And Matthias is never mentioned again. And this ordinary scene, uh, I believe, has extraordinary purposes for them, for us. They're like, what is it? Well, first, look at, this, look at this pattern here. There's prayer. They're pointed to the Bible. There's prayer. And then God gives an answer. Let me say that again. There's prayer. They're pointed to Scripture. They pray. And God gives an answer. You got a problem, you got an issue, you got something that's burdening you, uh, you feel the pressure around. I know this, this may sound like, man, I've heard this or it's a cliche. It's real simple. There's prayer, going to God's word. There's prayer and God gives an answer for you who are a Christian. The other thing that's so important is that Jesus is saturated all through this. Anyway, Jesus is ascended, you might say. I mean, he's hardly ever mentioned. They prayed uh, to Jesus. They then chose two men that only had two, uh, two criteria. That they knew Jesus from his baptism and they were witness to his resurrection. And I think those two criteria are the same for, uh, I would argue, any type of leadership in all the world, because I'm Christian, although the world would disagree with me, but particularly in the church. Do you know Jesus? Do you know his life, his teaching, his actions in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And then are you a witness of his resurrection? Not physically, because we didn't live there, but spiritually. Have you become a witness? Like you really know. You're not just saying it to say it. You know Jesus rose. You know you will rise. You battle a fear of death, because nobody wants to die. I mean, well, some do, but I mean, nobody, you know, we want a life, liberty, pursuit of happiness deal. But you have a witness that he rose, I will rise one day too. And so, you know, if you're wanting to grow in any way, and if you're wanting to grow into becoming a Christian, it all happens in Jesus. And you become a witness to his resurrection. And it does change you. And this is the most important 
deal point, whatever, because only then will you go prayer, scripture, prayer, and God gives an answer. Without Jesus, you won't. So if you're not doing that, if you're not even considering prayer, scripture, prayer, do you even have Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Are you really a witness of his resurrection? Because with this whole spirit-filled thing, I want people spirit-filled, which means I want them saved. And I'd love to see, and often in our, our, our churchiness and in our fear of man, we're like, well, I've kind of raised, I know all of it, but I don't ever want to like walk down the aisle because a lot of folks think I'm already a Christian. And, you know, one of the greatest things in the Bible Belt is to convince those who think they're Christians they might not be a Christian. Okay? And I'm not saying it's a scare you or like, but I, I know, I know it's true for at least one person, like sitting here and many people out there, because I've seen it. And the Spirit's led me to think that and believe that. So it is all goes back to Jesus. Knowing Him, His life, and His resurrection, and being a witness to that. So we're going to close. And we are going to take communion. And we're going to start changing up communion a little bit. We're going to start changing up the end of our service. Not necessarily today, but in future Sundays. So everybody who's helping, let's go. Come on, come on. Let's go. I invite you to make, to make a decision. And when I mean make a decision, to consciously come forward, particularly if you're a member here, to consciously come forward and men. You say do your work with the Lord, but then you can repent and really use this time. But I invite all of you to be open to the Spirit. Whether you like the song we're about to sing or don't like the song. Whether you come forward to communion or don't. And it's only an invitation, but I invite all of you. But it's an invitation to know Jesus and be a witness of his resurrection. It's an invitation to be what we would call in our church length saved. And to be changed. Because there's nothing uh, greater and more important and more powerful and more spirit-filled than saying, I am a, I am a sinner. I am I'm lost without God. Uh, I need an awakening. I need a reawakening. And as we saw in Peter, he followed Jesus, he followed Jesus for three years and still denied him. So the change that we know of as Peter is not happening until like right now what we're seeing in Acts. So you may know all the stories, you may know all the, all the language, all the verbiage, all the Christianese, and you may not know Jesus, and you may really not be a witness to his resurrection. And we as a church, we just put it out there as an opportunity to come forward, see what he's done. Someone really did die for you, gave his life for you physically and for you spiritually. That you can be before God, have that mansion in the sky, yeah, but more so, have this loving Father who loves you, receives you, and is like always there for you. Let's pray. God, I just pray for our people, for myself, for this community, that we go to you, that we know you, Jesus, and are a witness to your life in the fullest sense. In your name we pray, amen.